0: Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Let the church say amen. Amen. Let the church say amen again. And one more time for the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, it is a delight to be in the house of the Lord one more time, knowing that today was not promised to us, but God in control of it all has gifted us today. So very grateful to be in the house with you this morning. If you agree with that, let me hear you say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. It was such a delight, honestly, and a blessing to my soul to be able to see how we... uh, beckon the Spirit of God this morning in our worship. Let's put our hands together for our praise and worship team and how they usher God in this morning. So April and so many of you, it really was a blessing to my soul. I also want to take this time to pay homage to my friend, uh, our brother, your pastor, Pastor Ely, for the opportunity to be able to come and share about the sweetest name that I know, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, It's uh, very admirable of him to be able to take time away from the pulpit and uh, be able to entrust me with this opportunity. You know, scripture shows that um, for those that have been set apart, if you don't find yourself restoring yourself in order to come apart, you'll run the risk of falling apart. And some of us have been down that path in life before, so I'm very proud of him. Uh, and thank you to Andrew for being a great host as well. Uh, he's opened everything up except for the refrigerator and his wallet to me. So <laughs> it's been been great, but I don't put it past him. If I ask, I think uh, I shall receive. Uh, let me uh, say that I am very familiar with Bethany because I uh, belong to Bethany Children's Health Center. How many of you are familiar with the hospital there? and so. Uh, For those of you who will be in the transition in the 1115 service, you'll be able to see my family in person, but God has blessed me with uh, a wonderful family. My wife and I, just last week, we celebrated 14 years of holy matrimony, and uh, yeah, yeah, that is, uh, I grew up in Dallas, so South Dallas and Oak Cliff, and uh, come from humble beginnings, and, uh, you know, Oak Cliff, that's my hood, as they say. <laughs> and um, I'm proud to say through all those trans- transgressions, the Lord has never took his eye or his hand off of me, much like you can testify as well, and that uh, my wife and I have the longest tenure of holy matrimony in our family, so uh, I'm very proud of that, and the Lord has blessed us with the quiver full of arrow, as uh, uh, the scripture talks about, with three lovely children. Uh, my, my son is Nelvin. He's nine. He was born on Labor Day. My wife doesn't think that's funny at all. Uh, my, our middle child, Sherry Kay, she was born on Christmas Day, and she truly is a gift. And then Opal Rose, she was born on Columbus Day. So you, you think we planned that, but the Lord has a sense of humor. Amen. And uh, how we became introduced to the hospital is through our daughter, Opal Rose, who was diagnosed with one in a million disease, given a zero percent chance of recovery. But we know with God, all things are possible, especially for those who love the Lord. Uh, even Sister April this morning approached me, and she knew all about the story. And so literally, it's not our story, it's God's story, and he and his reputation, it precedes us. And I'm glad that knowing God doesn't waste the pain and the struggles of his kids, that it can bring comfort and joy to those that are being mended together. I want to take this time to preach to you from a very familiar text found in the book of Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, This is something that the Lord has placed on my heart, and uh, I, I want to be faithful to preach it. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, We'll dive right on and in. That's Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you're ready to go, let me hear you say amen. amen. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets their net was breaking so they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so they began to sink when Simon Peter saw it he fell down at Jesus knees saying depart from me for I am a sinful man o lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed him. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, it is now that we commit ourselves to the perfect preaching, teaching, and leading of the Holy Spirit. God, I ask right now, just as it has been said earlier, Father, that you will open our minds and our hearts to receive the plenty and bountifulness of the blessing that you have for us at this moment. God, I ask just right now, Lord, that you continue to tabernacle in this place where your scripture is true, that God, that were two or more have gathered in your name, you're within our midst. Father God, there are way more than two in here. So God, we ask that you just allow your presence to rest heavily and thick in this place. And we ask God that you just continue to gift me the words that you want me to say all the while guiding my thoughts and guarding my heart as we all seek to grow spiritually together. For it's in the mighty name of Christ we do pray and all God's children said, amen. Amen. This morning I want to preach to you from the topic of responding when the Lord calls responding when the Lord calls. In his book, No Wonder Why They Call Him Savior, Max Licato writes about a game warden who became very concerned about the number of fish a local fisherman by the name Sam began to catch. On a good day where most fishermen would return to the dock and have maybe three or four fish Sam, on the other hand, would return to the dock literally with a boatload of fish. Curious about Sam's success, the game warden approached Sam, and Sam said, well, I can show you better than I can tell you. So the next morning, the game warden finds himself on Sam's boat. And as they traverse the water, Sam finds his sweet spot, and begins to dig into his gear, and the game warden just sat on back because he wanted to, to witness the success and the secrets to, to Sam's success. He was shocked, however, when up comes Sam from his gear with a stick of dynamite. Without any hesitation, he strikes it and throws it into the water. Say it with me. Boom. Boom. All of a sudden, dead fish begin to rise to the surface. Again, with no hesitation, Sam grabs his net, begins to scoop the fish into the boat. As you can imagine, the game warden is living. He can't imagine what he's seeing. And he's fussing at Sam. He said, I can't believe this is what you've been doing. I'm going to charge you with everything in the book. You will never fish another day in your life. But while the game warden was fussing, Sam reached into his gear again, grabbed another stick of dynamite, struck it, and threw it into the lap of the game warden and said, Are you going to sit there and fuss and complain, or are you going to fish? (laughs) Say it with me. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) It is the same kind of dynamite decision that we see that Simon Peter is faced with here in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Brothers and sisters, the Scripture shows what we have here is a record of a miracle of Jesus, for it demonstrates that he is Lord over nature. The Scripture shows that it reflects the omniscience of Jesus, for he knew where the fish were. And it reflects the omnipotence of Jesus, for he made the fish come to Simon Peter's boat. Here we have this miracle over nature is not a response solely to a crisis that Jesus was faced with, for we know that Jesus had many problems. And if you have been cut from this cloth that Jesus has invited us to be a part of, you too have faced many problems. But here specifically in this scripture, we discover that it is a platform to a call for discipleship. Amen. Do you see that in the text? In this text, Luke is reporting for us how Peter, James, and John, Jesus' early disciples and inner, inner circle became his followers. And we know that James and John are mentioned in the text, but I contest that this specific scripture is dedicated to the Lord's call to Simon Peter. His accusation accusation is true because we know that Simon Peter's brother Andrew was one of Jesus' early disciples, but he's never mentioned in the text. Let alone James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were mentioned much later on in the text. So we know without a shadow of a doubt that this scripture specifically focuses on God's, through Jesus Christ's call to Simon Peter. It's much more than fish. It's specifically about a calling. There are scholars who have dedicated themselves to what is called the harmony of the Gospels. Well, they take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and put them in chronological order to help us understand and have a bigger understanding of a time frame. And and according to the harmonies of the Gospel, Luke chapter 5 is not Simon Peter's first encounter with Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me this morning? Amen. For we know that the Bible tells us in John chapter 2 that the first miracle that Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples was turning water into wine at a wedding in Canaan in Galilee. We know that to be true. That's the first one. But then also it goes as far to say that Mark gives the account that Simon Peter had a personal experience with Jesus Christ when Simon's mother-in-law was raised from having a fever and lying on her supposed deathbed. So we see that that the Bible has a history, a profound way of unlocking and revealing the truth of the intentions of our own heart. Otherwise, without warning, without any consent from us. Because truth be told, Jesus had all these prior encounters with Simon Peter, but in our texts, we can see that every time as a result of those encounters, Simon Peter just went back fishing. So here we are. We know that, that with, with, with Peter having these experiences, that much like you, if you had an experience like, like that with Jesus Christ, that you would find yourselves at least telling someone about it, that, that you saw him turn the water into wine. And you told someone about it, that you, you, you saw what he did for your mother-in-law, and, and you, you, you talked to someone about it. But the issue is, it's not that he talked to someone about it, it's the fact that he never talked to Jesus about it. Are you with me, amen? He never talked to Jesus about it. He talked to those in the synagogue, but he never talked to Jesus. He talked to those in the streets, but he never talked to Jesus. He, he talked to those who conspirized about who Jesus is and where he's from and what he's about, but he never talked to Jesus about it. And I don't know about you all, but my grandmother told me that no matter what you're going through, just having a little talk with Jesus makes it all right. Amen? So here we are, knowing he has never talked to him about it, but we serve a good God one that calls us by our name. And so God, through Jesus Christ, did not negate the fact that he was calling him to a specific calling. So here we have Jesus throws, in a sense, a stick of dynamite in the the lap of of Simon Peter and says, are you going to continue to deny me? Are you going to continue to deny my majesty? Are you going to continue to be deaf to what I'm calling to you physically and spiritually, or are you going to fish? Brothers and sisters, I can tell you emphatically within the scripture here that Jesus, through Peter, teaches us this is the whole point of the sermon. If you're taking notes, write this down that Jesus is worthy of your total devotion. Amen. That Jesus is worthy. Of your total devotion. And truth be told, there's no such thing as a part time Christian. There's no such thing as a part time follower. There's no such thing as a part time disciple. So here we see that in order to give Jesus your total devotion, point number one, Simon Peter shows us that you should give Jesus your material possessions. You should give Jesus your material possessions. That's verses 1 through 3. On an occasion, Jesus is swamped by a large crowd. This is the early part of his Galilean ministry and there are great hopes that are tied to the name that is Jesus because Many believe that Jesus is a long-awaited Messiah King. So the scripture tells us that the crowds come. And Luke tells us that they're not just there on the occasion to witness a miracle. But they were there to hear the word from God. But as he says here, it's a large crowd. And the text says that the crowd is pressing. Upon Jesus, that means there's there, there's violence in the language here, meaning that the crowd is beginning to multiply, and so much so that, that they're pushing and shoving, each one trying to get as close as they possibly can to the Savior, and there's a threat that Jesus may be pushed right into the Lake of the Lake of Gennesaret. There's he's standing on on the shoreline, and there's a the threat that he could be pressed. Right into the waters. Also, as it would be known as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. Nonetheless, Jesus knew that this was not the proper setting for teaching his father's word. So, so Jesus comes up with an idea. Jesus sees two boats sitting by the water and he decides that he wants to borrow a boat belonging to a man named Simon Peter. Simon is his name before he met Jesus. After he met Jesus, he got a whole new name. I wonder if I have a witness about that. Going from sinner to saved. Going from uncovered to clothed. Going from orphan to adopted. Going from no name to somebody. I knew I had a witness in the house. So here he is. And he decides to borrow Peter's boat. And so there he is. He, he, he turns this boat into a pulpit. He, he turns this boat into Lakeshore Passion Church. Uh, yeah. Do you see it? Jesus is right there in the boat and he starts teaching on the water. Do you see it? Speaking. So there he is preaching. Preaching. Teaching to the crowd. And the first stage of devotion here that Peter exemplifies for us is that he doesn't claim the right of ownership of his boat over Jesus. He doesn't say, Jesus, uh, that's your crowd. This is my boat. I've got my own problems. Ask me about last night. Uh, you need to deal with that on your own. He, he doesn't do that. He, he, he shows this initial stage that he allowed Jesus to use his boat. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I'll tell you that this is the initial stage of a Christian stewardship of showing our devotion to Christ, and that is you must be willing to give Jesus what you have in order to let him use it for his glory. Because we do know, brothers and sisters, that this was Peter's boat, but it really wasn't Peter's boat. I'm not talking Logically, I'm talking theologically. We know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and everything in it belongs to God. And along with this order of Christian stewardship, I can state it in four words that God owns it all. We have earned, but we don't own anything. God has blessed us to be stewards of things that he wants us to manage. But that doesn't mean that we have the ability to claim right of ownership on anything. For those of you who who might think that you're high and puffed up and maybe with arrogance, I'm here to tell you by way of Christian humility that you own nothing. We don't own a house. We don't own a car. We don't own a boat. We don't own a toothbrush. We don't own our children. We don't own our families. We don't own our jobs. We don't own our very next breath. We own nothing. How was the song? Your your breath in my lungs, but we gotta be careful because it it ain't my lungs either. (laughs) You hear me? So so here he he doesn't claim this right of ownership, and 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 I'm glad I got a witness in the house because Job teaches us that if we become too comfortable with material possessions, the Lord that gave knows how to take away. Yes, he does. So so we are just stewards, and and, and God allows us to be be entrusted with these materials. And and, and let me assure you that that God doesn't mind us holding up our earnings, our our belongings, our materials at high esteem. He just says, hold it with an open hand. So if I want to borrow it, I don't have to fight you for it. Some of us have had blessed experiences with God by relinquishing, letting go, letting him use freely those things that he's blessed us with. But then something, I'm going to tell you now, you know, Mike Tyson was undefeated for a while, but Jesus has been undefeated since the beginning. And he hasn't lost a fight yet, and he won't because the victory has been won. And so some of us have to experience pain to learn. But nonetheless, he still wants to use you and what he's given you. Question is, what's your boat? What is it now that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind? No matter how wise you are in years or how young you are in age, what is the Holy Spirit bringing to mind right now? Jesus didn't want to claim permanent right of possession of his boat he just wanted to use it so he could bless somebody else there's a story of a, a young mother who decided to participate in some retail therapy and uh, after shopping for a while she found herself wanting to get some coffee and read a book and eat some cookies and so she goes to the coffee bar and she gets her coffee and everything and Finds a table she wants to sit at, and so she grabs everything and says, I'll still to the barista and goes and sits on down, just reading and enjoying her coffee and eating some cookies. She didn't notice the man sitting next to her until he reaches his hand in the bag of cookies. She looks at him, he looks at her, and they just smile, exchange pleasantries. And she just goes back to reading. She didn't notice him again until he su- stuck his hand in the bag of cookies for a second time. Now she's upset. She's livid. She's thinking to herself, I can't believe this guy, this stranger, would take the audacity, put his hand in my bag of cookies. So she gathers all her belongings. She leaves the co- cookies and walks angrily to her car, and as she gets to her car, she opens up her purse, and she's shuffling around for her keys, and once she finds them, she sees that there are her unopened bag of cookies. And then it dawned on her that all along, she had an attitude about a bag of cookies that didn't belong to her in the first place. I'm not gonna press this too hard, but I'm here to tell you, at times, we think we're sharing with God, but the truth is God's sharing with us. Amen. And we ought not have an attitude or be upset or try to claim any ownership about what isn't even ours to begin with. Everything belongs to God. Amen. The second point here that we see is that in order to give your total devotion, to Jesus, Peter tells us that we need to give Jesus your trust. That's verses 4 through 7. Friends, I'm here to tell you that if you place your trust in Jesus Christ, that he will not allow your faithfulness to go unrewarded. Do I got a amen for that? Amen. My grandmother used to put it like this. Son, if you take care of God's business, God will take care of your business. So so here he is in verses one through three, Jesus uses Peter's boat. But here in verses four through seven, we find that Jesus wants to reward Peter for making his boat available to Jesus. After the service is over, Jesus tells Simon Peter and his boat to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for catch. Here, Jesus is making a radical request. It may not seem like that on the surface, but it is. Because back then, the ancient fishermen did not fish with hooks. They fished with nets. And so what they would do is they would fish in shallow water because if they were in the deep waters, the fish could easily escape the nets. And so here's Jesus saying, let's go fishing out into the deep launch out into the deep. So it's not only the wrong place, but he's telling him to do so at the wrong time for he's preaching up this crowd and it's the afternoon. And and the afternoon under the Middle Eastern sun Fishermen did not fish during the day because not only did they have shallow nets, but they also didn't fish in the deep during the day because the fish would not be in shallow waters. They would be in the deep waters. That's why fishermen fished at night because the cool of the day would would cause them to be in the deep. But at night they would come to the shallow level. So here we are. He's telling him to go fishing At the wrong place and at the wrong time. Do you see it in the text? Now, it's not in the Bible. And I can't prove it and you can't disprove it, but just go along with me for a second. But I believe that Jesus told Peter to go fishing at the wrong time and the wrong place. Because when Jesus does it, he does it where no man can boast to take credit. Amen. Do you see that in the text? Uh-huh. Am I by myself? No? Okay. It's right there. He, he, he does it to where no man and nothing else can take credit. So here we are. Peter's demonstrating how he showed us to give your total devotion by giving your trust to Jesus. And he says, so what? It's not at the right time. So what if it's not in the right place? Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, if the Lord first off is speaking to you, consider yourself blessed. And if the Lord is telling you to do something, that he deserves your yes. So what? The world is going to judge you about it. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. So here he shows that Jesus makes this radical request. And how does Peter respond? Peter responds with stubborn trust. Peter here, he says, master, we have toiled all night. He calls him master first off, so he recognizes the authority of Jesus. But he's stating a case that we have been here all night. And not only have we been here, we didn't just have an ice chest on the boat. We weren't here just kicking back and hanging out and hoping and sending out a prayer that the fish would jump into this net. But we worked. We labored to the bone. We exhausted ourselves. I'm doing you a favor by allowing you to come onto my boat. I'm ready to go home. And still, what do I have to show for it? Nothing. So here, you may have also sensed in the scripture a bit of reluctance as well. Peter telling Jesus, look, I'm a professional fisherman. I know what I'm doing. I've earned a living at this. I'm experienced. And you're a carpenter. And you may not even be a good carpenter because now you're preaching on the side. But, but listen to the next statement. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. So here we are. Peter is showing this demonstration of that where Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 tells us that we are trusting the Lord with all our heart. Lean not on our own understanding and all our ways acknowledge him and he shall direct our path. So here we have this, this picture of what it means to trust Jesus. And and I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, to, to show that the demonstration of trusting Jesus isn't the fact that you are holding on to the promises. That's good, but that ain't enough. To really show that you demonstrate your trust in Jesus is that when he commands you to do something, you obey. Amen? When he commands you to do something, you obey. For he tells us, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And and, and there's a, a bit more of a study that we could do because of King James and the New King James. From what I see here, Jesus told him to let down his nets, plural. But Simon Peter says, I'll let down the net, singular. So even to that sense of obedience and this stubborn obedience, there's still this issue of God will only bless you according to your obedience. No matter what the trajectory or the level of it may be, I encourage you to first seek the kingdom of God and all His righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, we need not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Fully commit and fully obey so here we go, Peter's out there and he's, he's in the boat. Okay, you know, he's telling me to drop this net. I guess I'll, I'll, drop, I'll drop a net. And so he puts his net down. And then, and then the, the scripture says that so many fish begin to jump into the net that, that the boat began to sink. And that's a sign when you know the Lord has blessed you because the blessing is a gift and a problem all at the same time. So here he is trying to hold on to this net with these fish and and he has no choice but to beckon to his partners, James and John, get over here with your boat and help me get these fish. That's another sign when you know the Lord has blessed you because the blessing is so big, you can't keep it to yourself. So here he is, receiving this blessing this point where the lord has done abundantly exceedingly abundantly above all he could ever ask or think and and he does this above all things and and how does peter respond he responds by falling to his knees He decides here in our final point that those who give their total devotion to Jesus should give Jesus your life. Verses eight through nine. He doesn't respond with the traditional sense of praise and worship. He doesn't respond with, I can't wait to tell my mama and them. He doesn't respond with any of that. Through this blessing that he's undeserving of, I'm not quite sure what this looked like, but I'm, I'm a visual type of person. That here he is, kneeling on a mound of fish. And, and what does he say? He says, depart from me, for I am a sinner, O Lord. I'm undeserving of this blessing. Depart from for I'm a sinner, O Lord. Peter, at this time, began to see himself for who he really was. He began to see himself for the things that he should not have ever said. He's seen himself for those things that separate him from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's seen those things that sets him apart as being a transgressor, an enemy of God. But thanks be to God that God doesn't see us how we see ourselves. But he sees us for how he has created us and for who we can become. He confesses and he says, depart from me, for I'm a sinner, O Lord. But what's most important here is how does Jesus respond? He tells Peter, do not be afraid. There are many things in our life, brothers and sisters, that we can be afraid of. We may show macho or strength or toughness or poise or whatever you want to call it. But we all have had our days where we've been afraid and filled with fear. And the challenge is, is because we're trying to take on life and life's challenges by ourselves. We're not living redeemed. We're living on our own. So he tells them, do not be afraid. And he tells them the calling that he has for them. For I will make you a fisher of men. Isaiah 43, 1, the Lord declares that do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Brothers and sisters, no matter if you're walking through a valley of shadow of death and you're fearful of whatever that is that's trying to have a grip on you, know that Jesus says, you need not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I have called you not by somebody else's name, but I've called you by your name, Harry. You are mine. No matter what the relationships is are or, or with your family and And you feel rejected every single time by them. And and, and you're trying to get your life on the right path. But the enemy keeps speaking these these words that want to steal and and kill your own life. The Lord says, don't be afraid. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you, you, you find yourself... Thick in the midst of that sin, and you know the spirit is, is telling you not to do it, but but your, your spirit is wrestling with your flesh, and your flesh seems to win in that very moment. The Lord doesn't see you based on your sin, but he says, Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you, I've called you by your name. You are mine. As Andrew comes, the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, it's only those that belong to the Lord that can rest and have peace in that truth. He knows your name. He says you are mine. He tells you you are redeemed. He tells you not to be afraid. But the question on the table, brothers and sisters, is this. Do you tell Jesus that I am yours? Let's take that to the Lord in prayer. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.